As I got older, it became apparent that my grasp of technology upgrades outstripped Dad's. As a result, I was usually tasked with implementing new items into Dad's exceedingly complicated entertainment center. I took our home video formats from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to streaming. Well, along the way, I'd also swap in new TVs and cable boxes where well, you get the picture. I crawled behind those dusty shelves and fiddled with wires lovingly. If I did it just right, it meant movie time, Dorda style, would go off without a hitch every weekend. Oh yeah. Welcome to My Dad, I'm Dad. A podcast for anyone who's ever loved, lost, or anything in between. My name is Doug. So what's movie-watching Dorda style? Well, it was loud, but immersive. It was comfortable, but thrilling. It was captivating and a little chaotic. But aside from all that, and more important than the sound and picture or any of the technology, was a weekly opportunity for the family to see something new or old and talk about it over the coming hours and days. Dorda style was and is all about the conversation inspired by a movie or a TV show. I sat down this week with Amit, the host of D54, a movie podcast if you haven't otherwise guessed. Now, this episode is a little different. Amit and I met discussing movies, so I asked if he'd come on and talk movie dads with me. Well, he eagerly agreed, and we got to bullshitting, Dorda style. So, take it away, other me. Amit, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Doug. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I get to talk movies with you. This is going to be a blast. <laughs> no, this is going to be awesome, man. Hey, thank you so much for coming here tonight to join me. It is my Friday night. It is your Saturday morning, correct? Correct. Yep, yep. Saturday morning, yeah. 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. <laughs> so you unfortunately don't get to do what I'm doing, which is I'm enjoying a libation. And on Friday <laughs> nights... I always love to watch movies with my dad. And you were gracious enough to invite me on your podcast a few weeks back, uh, and it might have even been a month plus. Now, it doesn't matter. And I will talk movies with anyone, anytime, for any reason. But you were gracious enough to invite me on your show, and it's been an absolute honor to be a part of that. But more importantly, it's been a pleasure to listen to each and every one of the episodes. Do you mind telling the people listening what led you to want to make d54 oh well firstly um it was such a blast having you on the show and it's definitely the, not the last time you're coming on because we're going to keep having you on as much as we can so <laughs> i'll um, be back yeah you'll be back um yeah so d54 started a podcast really a few a few months ago just talking about movies and tv shows trying to provide some different perspectives uh you know got a couple of my mates along with me uh, my mate Dennis, so we used to work together, and then that suddenly emerged into a podcast where we talked about movies, because we realized during our working hours, we spent most of it talking about movies or TV shows. Then I talked to my other mate, Sonny, we got, yeah, mate, I've known since for the last 10, 15 years, and I talked with him a lot of time about movies, but those two, we got along great, they got along great, and here we are. There's a couple of, few people talking about movies, we've had some guests on, including Doug, we reviewed The Grey Man, 
honestly still today my one of my favorite episodes uh, a lot of fun <laughs> so, too kind yeah no no it was awesome man that was an awesome episode and had a lot of fun with it and um yeah that's basically the show and i'm really glad to um make an appearance on your podcast as well because it has been one that i've truly enjoyed and i'm really looking forward to season two as well all right well thank you so much you're actually a part of it right now uh, but one other really cool thing about D54, and I want to ask a question here in a second, is that you actually explore not just the big tentpole movies, right? Like, obviously, The Gray Man yeah. was a big hit for Netflix. Or talking about some of the blockbusters out there, like Jordan Peele's Nope. It, you yeah. know, blockbuster applies loosely there. But you also explore a lot of Indian cinema. And I'm not, I'm not talking just Bollywood here. What is it that gets you interested in Indian cinema? Because it is... It has made me aware of it in a way that I hadn't been previously. Yeah. And it's one of the coolest discoveries for me listening to your show. <laughs> yes, I think part of that came out of when we were starting the show, we didn't sort of want to be the standard typical um, show that just reviews all the same movies. You know, if you go on YouTube, you'll see a lot of people reviewing stuff from Marvel or the latest blockbuster stuff. Or you have people that are, are against Marvel and doing stuff that are opposite that. We sort of wanted to have our own flair and our own sort of personalities in what we what we review and what we sort of talk about so growing up you know i am of south asian descent i'm indian but sort of you know that's we just had one idea to sort of try out movies that are more international and the first one we did was a movie called rrr which was a huge mega blockbuster hit and we love that movie a lot and it just led us down this path to exploring this indian cinema and sort of how they sort of approach movie making and we've, we've kind of seen a lot of really good things coming out of the like we've just seen, you know, their approach to sort of storytelling, their approach to action, um, integrating the culture into movies, which is something that I've been really fascinated by. So just giving us different perspectives. And that's what we're trying to sort of help other people sort of see as well, you know, different ways of sort of telling stories and watching movies. It is a bit of, you know, helping some exposure to see some a different side of things. Like, you know, I think we all enjoy sort of getting out of our, our comfort zones at times. And sometimes we can be too locked in our comfort zones, watching the same sort of stuff. Or that's familiar so you know the indian movies are sort of the first step and we've had some success with it so we sort of just sort of leapt on that for a little bit but we're looking to sort of see more international stuff sort of when it comes yeah and honestly unfortunately we're talking largely about the comfort zone <laughs> right now <laughs> because the reason i wanted to have you on you said hey i want to be a guest on the show sometime in the future i don't know what it would look like and i told you yeah. even that day oh i think i got an idea the idea was fermented, you agreed, and we are going to have a blast. So what we're doing is discussing movie dads, movie and or television dads. Best examples, worst examples, crazy examples. <laughs> and the way I have my list set up is that I've got three from different eras of films. So I have the 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s plus respective in my list. What do you got? So I didn't actually look at the dates, but looking at these ones, I have from, I guess, technically looked it up now. One is from the 80s, my first one, but I didn't watch it in the 80s. I watched it in the 90s, but it's all, it's sort of from that time period. One is very much 90s and one is like 2015-ish to like mid-20s. So pretty recent, I guess, in comparison to some of the other ones. Right. And the point is, I have no idea what's on Amit's list. He has no idea <laughs> what's on my list. I'm going to present... My dad, if I don't know, or he doesn't know, one of the suggestions that we put out there or something that we're going to champion, then the <laughs> idea is to just sell the other on it and thusly sell you, the audience, on it. It just sounded like a hell of a lot of fun to me because I loved sitting down with my dad watching a movie. To this day, it's one of the best experiences of my life 
just a quiet Friday night. Yeah, it wasn't quiet at all. Actually, he had a surround sound system that would like shake the walls, <laughs> but it was incredible. And it's a part of the reason that I love stories. And it's a part of the reason that I want to share my story. And I still, when I watch a movie and I'm by myself, leave an empty chair next to me. Or if I'm in a movie theater, I try to leave an empty chair because I'm watching a movie with dad. So in that spirit, a lot of these movie dads offer me some lessons about being a parent that my dad can't give to me now. Even the bad ones, or more especially the bad ones. But I'll go ahead and lead us off. I'm going to start in the 1980s. And anybody listening to this podcast might assume that I would go with Chevy Chase in the vacation <laughs> films. But I won't. Not that he wasn't a good dad, but films are an encapsulation of a particular story, not necessarily the whole journey. And the dads that I wanted to focus on kind of seemed like they have been good dads throughout their entire journey. So, not Chevy Chase, but John Candy in The Great Outdoors. Have you seen it? No, I have not. Excellent. Let me sell you. <laughs> now, this should be interesting because we topographically have a very different landscape that we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, John Candy, very much like any other John Candy role at that time. Absolutely charming, enigmatic, wonderful. The reason that you want to tune into a movie ever, right? But in that film, he plays a dad who has brought his two sons. I believe one is roughly 12. One is about 16 years old to one of the spots that he loved to go on vacation with his dad. Now, more importantly than that, his wife is still a part of the picture because so many movies have one parent gone. I'm looking at you, Disney, right? Like one parent is missing from the equation and that will actually be a, a function of why they might be considered a good parent or not is whether or not they show up. But this one, they actually work together. The foil in the movie is Dan Aykroyd. Again, why wouldn't you watch this movie? Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. And it's a comedy and it's largely just about the power of a vacation and trying your damnedest to make something matter in the North Wisconsin woods in this particular example. And of course it's, it's hilarious. There's a hell of a lot of back and forth between Dan Aykroyd and John Candy, who is you know the, the brother-in-law it's, it's funny top to bottom. It's heartfelt. It's something that I watched with my dad when I was on vacation a lot. And it felt like something that was akin to my family. It just sings in my heart to this day as an example of what it takes to really truly Understand that family, especially if you're going to have kids and you'll have inter interpersonal relationships as a result of marriage, you know, sometimes you, you really have to put yourself aside. And even though what you were trying to intend doesn't get achieved, maybe the original intent does get achieved and that you actually have a wonderful experience with your family. <laughs> the crux of that movie is a bear fight, but, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, let that be the reason you go and watch it. Oh man, that actually sounds like a pretty fantastic movie. And one thing you mentioned about the so the great outdoors itself, because we before just offline, we're talking a little bit about um how you've just come from a trip or something like that, like you've done some camping or and I think it's something you do every now and then. So has that got any part to play with with sort of why you like this movie a lot? Just because you're a bit of an outdoor an outdoorsman as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, one of the through lines in the film is that there are these raccoons that visit the cabin that they've, they've rented out throughout the entire time and just destroy their happy, peaceful experience every single night. Nothing ever went according to plan when I would go up north with my family. The only thing that went according to plan was the fact that nothing goes according to plan. 
the one of the reasons I love the movie so much is because it captures a lot of the scenery that I love and a lot of things that were special to me, but special to my dad in a different way because he yeah. experienced it totally different than I did. But we both appreciated it for very separate reasons. And that's ultimately what everyone achieves in that movie. Like we love it here, but I love it for this reason. You love it for this reason. Even though we almost killed each other several times, <laughs> uh, we could still agree that it was a hell of a time. This does look like quite an interesting movie. I mean, you saw me on when, you know, John Candy himself's pretty much a legend and Dan Aykroyd as a foil. Yeah, definitely adding this one to my list, man, because I've not seen it. And it, I, I love to like the outdoors movies. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of too many movies that do this sort of same outdoorsy kind of thing. The one that came to my mind for some reason was Jumanji, which was kind of like that <laughs> a little bit. But that's that's probably a bit <laughs> different to what this is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're not wrong there because it is that thing where like Alan does actually come to love Jumanji for a uh, sort of a yes. reason and kind of, you know, ends up missing it. And mm -hmm. man, Robin Williams is another just like we could go on all day about Robin Williams being yep. a dad. Why didn't I put Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> on this list? Or well, um, Hook. <laughs> Well, there's a, there's a particular reason I didn't put Hook on here, and I'm glad you brought that oh, up. Oh, okay. That movie exists at a point in time in his life where he realizes he's never been a good dad. Yeah. And he is now going to become a good dad as a result of remembering who he once was. So I thought long and hard about it, but I didn't put it on here. Yeah, I went with John Candy because he's a good dad from start to end of that movie. But it's rare that you actually see a husband and wife team together doing something with their kids in movies where they're not like actually antagonizing one another mm -hmm. it's great yeah so that's my number that one and my my runner-up in the 1980s is sean connery in the last crusade okay yeah that's a good one not a great dad until again mm -hmm. uh, we have a movie where it actually shows he's becoming a better father but you understand more about his motivations and why he did what he did with his son throughout his entire life. And just the way those two play off one another is amazing. And the reason that I have him as my runner up is that I can't watch that movie now without thinking about my dad and me. We were different enough from one another that we butted heads, but similar enough that people would always be like, well, why don't you do this the way your dad did? Because mm. it only makes logical sense. You two are so alike. It's like, well, no, not really if you peel back the layers. But we love the hell out of one another. And <laughs> he would have absolutely told me to drop the grail. You know? Mm. Like, if it meant saving my life or achieving this goal, he would be like, no, I need you. Let's go. Yeah. What do you got for your first one, Amit? Oh, okay. That's a pretty... Tough one to follow up on. Um, <laughs> so I got one that I'm sure you're familiar with. And I went a little bit different, man. If it's okay, I didn't. So this is a father figure. Um, not technically a father, but I went Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. <laughs> oh, fantastic choice. Like, I hope that doesn't break the rules. I'm hoping. No, not, okay. <laughs> a, not at all, man. We, we, we set stuff a, a kind of under the side, but now I'm, I'm curious why Mr. Miyagi? So, Mr. This would have, I would have watched the Karate Kid came out in like the 1980s, 1984. So, that was, you know, a little bit before I was even born. But I definitely, you know, Karate Kid was a movie that was like, I don't know, when I, maybe the, one of the first few times when I was a functioning, you know, kid, uh, you know, went to Blockbuster or the video store to pick up movies, and the Karate Kid was one of them. And yep, 
picked it up off the DVD shelf and just put it on and just watched it. And it was pretty, I would say in my early years, pretty influential. It was a movie that was always shown on TV here. So it was on repeat a lot, a lot of exposure. And it was just different. Like Mr. Miyake was such a, you know, he had this mysticism to him, but I guess, you know, having it's also, you know, Asian background to sort of to see um, someone like himself who was complex, you know, that's what I, I sort of liked about him. It was, he definitely had wisdom to him and, you know, he tried to instill that into Daniel. But then basically, you know, as we saw, like it was not that easy for him to understand the lessons that he was trying to teach him. So it's a great, it's, it's, I thought it was a great exploration into this, that sort of father slash father figure, like figure um, in Daniel's life and to sort of see what the lessons of karate can be, uh, you know, and they're kind of simple lessons at the end of the day to, you know, have patience or have balance or, you know, wax on, wax off, however you want to put it. But it's not, when you sort of look at it, it's like, it's not that easy for Daniel to accept that struggle, that dynamic between father and father, son, if you want to put it like that. You know, it was quite different and quite nice to see. I really enjoyed that. And it was a certain vulnerability that he had at the times when it was necessary, you know. So he was, you know, obviously he had this weapon, karate, that he knew, you know, and he could use it as he wanted to. But he showed, you know, you should use it only when it's applicable. And I really liked the lessons that sort of came out of that movie. And the dynamic is one that's sort of been stuck in my head for quite a while I think and this might be I don't know if there's any recency bias here just because Cobra Kai has come out recently and that's what was influencing it but even I think when we were talking about this I think he was one of the first sort of fathers that came to my head and I have a certain common theme in my fathers a lot of them are not actually fathers but they're sort of father-like figures so there's probably something a little bit about my own relationship with my father which admittedly wasn't which wasn't the best so maybe that was me just seeking out other people like that. So, yeah, I guess that's sort of some of the reasons why I sort of liked Mr. Miyagi as a figure. A lot to him, and, you know, the, you know, what, four movies about him. We understood his character a bit better. I liked how, you know, he did things which I probably wished I had seen more of my father. The vulnerability, even if he's, you know, at times when it's hard for him to sort of show, he shares his grief with Daniel. And there's a real friendship between them, which is different to what we sort of see in typical, you know, father-son relationships. There's... He consoles in Daniel every now and then, which is really touching, I find. Whereas some things I've seen in other ones, it's more like the father is, you know, all knowledgeable and the son doesn't really, you know, he takes the lessons. But in this one, in this relationship they have, I think that, you know, Miyagi does sort of learn a lot and take a lot from Daniel to his own journey, you know, at the place that he is in, in, in his life, having lost basically everything and just basically having his karate. But yeah, I, mean, I think that was but. That was some of the points that I think why I chose uh, Mr. Miyagi as one of my dads from the, I guess you'd say 80s, but for me, probably the 90s. Honestly, I, I'm i thrilled that you went that route because I, <laughs> I warred with myself constantly as we were putting this together. And it's just a, a silly podcast. You know, it's just you and I talking. But <laughs> I was like, man, should I put some of those figures in there? Should I not? Because yeah. there are some absolute, you know, father figures that I, I feel like do it exceptionally well. But what I really appreciate about Mr. Miyagi outside of everything you just listed there is that it's not a, it's not a last ride kind of story, right? So mm-hmm. like a dad that may have ended up on this list would be Logan, you know, Hugh Jackman's Logan, oh, yeah. but he's not a particularly good dad. He's just a good dad. in mm-hmm. like five minutes of that movie after he reluctantly accepts that he is a father to a daughter that he didn't yeah. know, <laughs> but that's his last ride. 
right? So yeah. he he leaves a legacy for his daughter where she's like, okay, I can remember that he did this nice thing for me once. Mr. Miyagi shows up not once, not twice, but thrice. And he's a constant figure in that kid's life, in mm-hmm. Daniel LaRusso's life. And that is incredible because it's not like Connery where he was there for the one film. He was there for the mm-hmm. three films and he was always giving these lessons. And like you said, learning from Daniel in turn. And that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, I haven't watched any of Cobra Kai yet. I've been saving it. And I don't know why (laughs) I haven't tapped into it yet, because it sounds like my kind of thing. But do do they touch on his legacy at all uh, with with Ralph Macchio now? Definitely. No, he's just when you're speaking about that sort of legacy part, it is probably one of the longest lasting father son relationships that I've seen that I can remember that it's because of Cobra Kai, it's sort of extended that legacy. But he's part of every single season. Like, obviously, you know, Pat Mori is no longer with us anymore, but you know, he's, he's have flashbacks and everything like that. And you can tell that a lot of the stuff that Daniel learned from Miyagi is still very relevant to his life, even today in the Cobra Kai series. So it's just, I mean, from a kid until now, like he's so much of an influence on him that it's just carried through. So I just find that quite beautiful how, you know, they really did a great job of cementing how much he meant to him and the lessons that he is in. Like Daniel is basically uh, a reflection of Miyagi. And there's something just about that, you know, it's not, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, fathers, you know, father and sons have to be sort of tied together by blood or anything like that. There are sort of figures you have in your life. Um, we all sort of have in our lives that transcend that sort of, you know, friendship barrier or whatever it might be. And it's basically, you know, it's like a family. And that's what sort of what Miyagi sort of was for Daniel because he didn't have a father. Or he probably, he had a father, but they didn't show him in the movies or anything like that. To be that stable figure in his life, and carrying him through everything it's yeah it's quite touching to be honest and i quite really appreciated that portrayal and yeah i would definitely recommend cobra kai it's one hell of a fun watch yeah it's uh, <laughs> a pretty fun time but in terms of uh pat moria and Mr. Miyagi, it's one that yeah i come to most often when i think of sort of father figures maybe because it was just doing that you know i would have been maybe uh, i don't know maybe eight nine ten eleven when i was watching these movies and yeah you know it just stuck with me since then I mean, the moment you said it, I was like, damn it, that's so good. <laughs> I uh, I actually have a, a found family member, and unfortunately, he is no longer with us. He passed away mm. a little bit after my dad, uh, but they were my neighbors when I was growing up, and they were essentially my third set of grandparents, my Papa Jer oh, and my man. Grandma D. And to me, as a child, to this day, I do not differentiate them from grandparents whatsoever. They were exceptionally there they cared they brought us into their lives in a way that just mattered and it was it was like i said indistinguishable from family or friend and it was one of the most special relationships and is one of the most special relationships i've ever shared and that actually formed a framework for how i've gone about making friends in my life i don't just assume somebody is going to be a friend full stop they they have a potential to be extremely influential in your life i guess a lot of that just comes from may especially for me and for you being big movie fans because we've seen it on screen we just don't think it's potentially strange at all like no found Mm. family is a huge thing they do it in star wars they do it in the karate kid and i uh i tip my cap to you if we were going to give a (laughs) (laughs) if we were going to give a ranking there you know, who, who was the better dad? I honestly, I might say that Pat Morita is the one that kind of 
kind of hits. Uh, he fires on all cylinders where the great outdoors is is a hell of a time it's a great comedy but in the karate kid mm-hmm. you actually get those comedy moments in addition to those really valuable life lessons over the span of three films so good on you sir <laughs> yeah no it's a good one um i really do like how real it was like you know even like i guess you know because you do put yourself in you know daniel's shoes a lot of the time and some of the lessons that we learn from our fathers or our father figures or whatever we say they're not that easy to grasp right like i'm not, not sure if you have i'm sure that's something you've probably also experienced like it's a simple lesson but i'm sure your father it would have taken you a lot longer to sort of grasp them <laughs> or he would deliver really simple lessons and i just didn't want to hear them you know that yeah. that happened a yes. lot in my life yeah and that happens a lot in sort of the relationship between daniel and miyagi as well like they're just simple things but he just can't accept them and honestly if we're in daniel's position would be a lot of us would be in the same thing like what is this why is it so hard to do this but you can tell he's a wise man and he's trying to instill his knowledge yeah so yeah it's a that's my first pick <laughs> well again cheers to you we're gonna move on now from my next one into the 90s and this is one that i have <laughs> talked about at great length and i believe may have already made a appearance here in the second season of the show but in the 90s, there was a little gem of a film known as The Little Giants, and Rick Moranis in that film is a phenomenal movie dad. Have you seen Little it? Giants. No, I have not. It is about American football, but peewee football, you know, so junior, junior league. And yep. Rick Moranis is the younger brother of that town's, like, football star a guy who went on to win the Heisman Trophy. And that is played by Ed O'Neill, who was the father in... Married with children. Yeah. All right. So another great kind of like foil relationship where Danny O'Shea, the younger brother played by Rick Moranis is just, he, he owns a, like a garage and a little gas station in town, but his brother has moved back to town. Local football hero, absolutely amazing, charming figure owns this massive car dealership and is bringing a peewee football team to the little town of Urbania in Ohio. Right now. Rick Moranis' daughter is hands down far and away the best football player in the town, but she doesn't get a spot on the team. You know, the movie opens up with a whole like football tryout session. She doesn't get a spot on the team. Why? She's a girl. And Rick Moranis immediately is, you know, uh, well, you know, uh, better luck next time. Like she grew up under the arm of her uncle. She idolizes her uncle. She's heartbroken. You know, she's crushed. She tells her uncle that, Hey, my dad's going to start his own football team. And then we get the the standard, you know, Bad News Bears, the big green 90s sports movie trope of like, let's put together mm-hmm. a ragtag team. And all of a sudden they're going to take down the big bads at the end with the the express goal of, you know, whoever it is that wins this game is now going to be the one little league team that we have in this very small town. Phenomenal relationships all around, very well acted all around by the kids. But Rick Moranis' commitment to his daughter and allowing her to be who she is, no questions asked, doing exactly what she needs to do to feel like she is going to be herself. And ultimately, in the third act of the movie, she has a crush on Devin Sawa, because who didn't in the 90s? (laughs) She decides that she doesn't want to play in the big game and she'd rather be a cheerleader for the other team. And he lets her do it. No problem. Like, hey, hmm. I'm sorry. We're, you know, sorry we're gonna lose you. She's the best player on the team, and his immediate response is, "All right, I know you want to do this." 
And of course she comes back after halftime and ooh, they win because, you know, she's really <laughs> mad now. But the way that he parents that child has always struck me. It is one of those silly movies, 90s type of movie that you would have just picked off the wall over and over and over again at a blockbuster because Rick Moranis yeah. was, you know, in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And he's just a, a charismatic figure that you can't help but watch. But the love expressed between him and his brother, the challenge that those two have of being one extreme example of a town hero and another extreme example of a town hero because he's just a success story of like, I own a small garage and I'm a member of this community. And the way that they ultimately come together to just champion what their kids are doing uh, has always sat with me. And and it continues to just be wonderful throughout the years. Now, I'm not saying you're going to want to watch it because you're an adult now. <laughs> you might watch it just because you're <laughs> curious about what I'm talking about. But anybody listening to this show who is familiar with that movie, if you haven't revisited it, go back and do so because it is an absolute blast. And Moranis is firing on all cylinders. And Ed O'Neill was criminally robbed of what could have been an enormous movie career. He had it all. He was so good. And I know he has uh, modern family now. And everybody mm -hmm. associates him with that after married with children. But, man, it's a time capsule of that entire style of movie in that time of making movies done exceptionally well. And it provides us with one hell of a movie dad. Wow. So when you talk about this, the first movie that came to my mind was The Mighty Ducks. Very much Mighty Ducks. And just thinking of Emilio Estevez in that sort of mentor kind of role, I guess. But, yeah, um, just it, yeah. instead of Emilio Estevez, where he was, you know, an alcoholic <laughs> that had yep, once yep. had a career, it's like they split his character into two. This is the perfect yep. way to describe it, actually. You're, you're ah, man, thank you. <laughs> it's the perfect way to describe it. Instead of Emilio Estevez being the drunk, cocky, uh, big lawyer that has to learn a lesson later on, one of the characters is the well-meaning character that Emilio Estevez becomes by the end of that movie. And the other is the one that he starts the movie as minus the alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. Right. Interesting. It's, it's funny because I don't have, like I didn't have too many sports related fathers in mind. And it's, it's weird. Cause like, I guess that is a good vessel for like, as you mentioned, like using the analogy to, you know, as a father being in that sort of, role to like you know see your kids grow up or the father-son relationship um on a basketball team or something like that you think it's come across more but there's not that many i can think of so this was a pretty um underrated like a nice pick of yours <laughs> and that's the cool thing is that rick marinus in the movie has no idea how to play football you know he's got such a bad taste in his yeah. mouth because his brother's this huge star so when his daughter essentially just tells him you're going to be the coach of a new team they do this thing together and I can't remember this story of this allegory, but it was something I saw recently where a kid was talking to their father and the father did something for the kid and the kid was upset. Hmm. And essentially the kid says like, I wanted to do it with you. And the ah. really cool thing about the little giants is that it is the story of a father consistently learning to do stuff with his daughter. And that's really cool. It's always struck me as an awesome version of what it can look like when you care a lot you don't know what you're doing, but you're willing to try. And of course, it's a movie, so it's like hyper-realized, right? It's all exploded. It's all insane yeah. versions. Like you wouldn't just, <laughs> if, my, if Maxine came home one day and was like, you're going to coach my football team now, and you have to put it together, and it's going to be a ragtag tag team of kids, 
and this one's going to have crazy allergies and you are going to have to dedicate all this time. Now I might be like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes there, kid. Uh, we got to talk about this. And you know, it is again, it's a movie. So he immediately says, yeah, all right, let's do it. After, you know, a few seconds of thought, <laughs> but it's, it's still, it stands as an inspiration to me because it is ridiculous and it is nuts, but the, the clearest motivation that you can see on his face exists in that scene that I told you about later on, where his daughter has told him, you will make this team with me. I want to mm -hmm. do this and I want to prove that I'm worth something because he's not doing it for the other kids. Of course, that's a benefit by the end of the film and everyone gets their moment, but he's doing it for her. And yeah. when she decides she wants to be the cheerleader, just because her heart is singing that way in that moment, you just see a brief second of disappointment in his face that he's not actually going to be able to stick it in his brother's eye for once. Yeah. And he accepts the loss so that she can win and do what she needs to do. Like that was, that's huge. And that's something that doesn't even belong in a kid's movie, but they put it in there. And if you're not looking mm. for it, you won't see it, but I've always loved it. Yeah. See, this is 1994. I feel like this movie is a bit ahead of his time from what the stuff you're talking about the father and daughter relationship and the twist in the um, story there and, you know, like female sports and all that stuff as well. So that's, yeah, sounds like it's pretty, it's definitely one. I don't know if I'll watch it or not, but it's definitely um, one that I'm um, glad I know about now. <laughs> yeah. Even if you don't want to watch it, just remember Rick Moranis is a hell of an actor and he, yeah. he was way better than that movie deserved. And especially Ed O'Neill yeah. was criminally underserved for the rest of his career because that movie should have cemented him as being that guy. Wow. Is, is, is this more present because of you have a daughter, you think? No. <laughs> I, I would love to tell yeah, you that, yeah. that that is that is the reason why, but no, I just uh, I watch movies too much. Yeah. And that one has always... <laughs> that yeah. one has always struck me. And I think part of the reason why is that my dad does seem like sort of an amalgamation of those two brothers. Or my brother and I were an amalgamation of those two brothers. And the fact that he yeah. could allow us to each shape into the human beings that we were going to become because we're very different people. Uh, it, it felt akin to our yeah. relationship in a way. Not not 100%. I, I appreciated it a lot uh, because it felt very familiar. Yeah, got it. Now, what do you have as your next pick. All right, so I'm going one with one that's very familiar. And I don't know if this is, again, a little bit off frame, so not an actual father, but someone that takes the role of the father, Uncle Phil from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, man. <laughs> you are, you're hitting it out of the park. <laughs> so again, you know, what's sort of familiar because this was something that was Fresh Prince was, oh my God, on TV all the time. It was like one of the shows that, yeah, I definitely watched a lot. Like, you know, this would have been around when I was probably in high school, I think. So, you know, I'm just showing my sort of my progression and age there. As I was talking about Mr. Miyagi last time. So I've grown up a little bit more. Now I'm seeing, you know, Uncle Phil. And the thing that I love about Uncle Phil was he was so relatable as, um, you know, a hard-ass father um, figure because, you know, He's um, like, you know, my father was pretty hard-ass. He was actually somebody that wasn't all that soft at times. Um, but the thing I loved about him was that when he needed to, he would show his vulnerability. And there are just scenes that just stick out so much. I think we all know the um, the Will Smith, uh, you know, 
Takam, you don't want me, man. Like that scene was incredible. And it just just shows you, like, you know, even when you come from fellas fat sort of families where there is, you know, maybe not the best father-son relationship, you can find people that sort of help you out during that time. And he embodied that so much so well because Will was kind of a, you know, he was kind of a brat. You know, he was kind of a bad kid in some ways. He was unpolished and you know, under the, I guess, supervision or guidance of uh, James Avery as Uncle Phil, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. And I think that show did a great job of just showing that, you know, that dynamic. It is obviously, it, it is a comedy, so there's a lot of stuff that's just there for laughs. But when the show needed to get serious, it got serious. Like, it didn't want to make jokes around that time as well. I really appreciated that. And there were sort of parts of me which sort of felt like, you know, he is someone that you sort of, what, a lot of his attributes and stuff that you sort of wanted in your own, in my own sort of father. To be, I don't mind you being a hard ass, but, you know, show us a soft side when it's needed. You know, he was, I think he was pretty honest with himself when he's made a mistake. He'll sort of own up to that. But he's always there for his sons um, and his family in in a way that was different to Mr. Miyagi. Because Mr. Miyagi was a little bit, as much as I loved him, there was this whole mysticism side to him, which made him a bit unreal and a bit unrelatable for someone growing up in Western culture. Like myself, whereas uh, Uncle Phil, Uncle Phil was somebody that you would you could easily associate with someone that you know. Yeah, so this is a lot to like about Uncle Phil, you know. A lot of stuff like even when he's leaving, like I remember there was some doing a bit of research for this, like stuff that he said just really hit you in different spots. There was one thing that he said, I think I can't remember when he said it. Will is talking about how uh, something along the lines of how you know, oh, you know, now that we're all moving on, you know, are you going to call me or not? You know, because you know I came in and I'm a relative and. You know, I, I don't know if you even see me as a part of your family or not. You know, he says something like, you know, I hope that, you know, the person I've come in is different to the, no, the person I'm now is different from the person that I was when I first came. And he says something along the lines of, you know, I remember when you first came, like you were a kid loaded with, with all the potential in the world. And now I see you as a person on the verge of realizing it. And I guess, you know, during that time, that age, high school, university, it's pretty powerful to hear those kind of words, you know, to sort of see that kind of come to life in this you know, form of TV as it did. And they just did such a great job with Will Smith and um, James Avery and everybody on that show of just depicting that family, that dynamic, the laughs, the ups and downs, you know, stuff that you go through. So his presence throughout the entire show was so strongly felt. And, you know, he was almost, a, you know, aside from Will Smith and maybe Carlton, he was probably the biggest character in that show. Um, no, no pun intended. As I show, that was kind of that was kind of the humor of the show. You, so, yeah. you beat me to the punch, man. <laughs> um, a lot of the jokes from that show, but yeah, it was just a nice segment of the time. You know, very sort of '90s feel, uh, which I really liked. Um, you know, definitely very much a '90s baby. Yeah, man, that was sort of my second pick, and um, I'm sure you're familiar with Uncle Phil. Uh, uh, oh, Uncle yeah. Phil, so. Yeah, was he also? Did he also have a similar sort of place in your um, oh, man. childhood growing I, up? <laughs> I I agree with everything you said, and I couldn't say it more perfectly. But one moment that immediately jumps to my mind, and I've always loved this moment with Uncle Phil. There was an episode where Will gets in a lot of trouble with these like pool sharks, and yes. he gets in the hole and owes them a lot of money. And he asks for Uncle Phil's help, and he has no idea when he asks for his help that Uncle Phil is actually an amazing pool player. Yep. And he brings him, <laughs> brings him to the pool hall, and Uncle Phil does that amazing, you know, shrift thing where he he plays like six games in a row and just absolutely gets demolished by this guy and keeps upping the ante of the bet. And then yep. eventually he says, 
to uh to the chauffeur that had brought them he's like bring out lucille and the guy from his pants pulls out a pool cue in a case (laughs) and uncle phil just wipes the floor and the lesson there was just kind of this like don't don't expect me to always ride to your your aid don't expect me to always be there to save you but also you shouldn't assume i just wasn't like this at some point in my life and it was yeah. it was a really cool because it humanized Uncle Phil in a way that it was like, oh, man, he also had a really cool past. He also yeah. must have been somebody like the Fresh Prince at one point in his life. He wasn't always this extremely polished judge. And mm-hmm. those were the types of moments that always really hit. Like you said, they, you know, why didn't he want me, man? Those yeah. things hit. And what I miss most about the sitcoms of the 90s, because they do it really well now, but most things are around an hour. Mm-hmm. You could take a, a sitcom roughly 20 minutes of total content and have this entire emotional crest where you would go from big laughs to big cries to big dramatic moments. And that was like wild how well they could do mm-hmm. that. But that pool cue scene is always stuck at like the way yeah. his chauffeur grabbed the box out of his pants kills me to this day. <laughs> no, I remember, I remember that one. Yep. Yep. That was, that was a classic scene. Um, oh, so good. I had, yeah. I had some runners up for the nineties and I realized, that that they were all pretty akin to one another if you looked at it from a certain light. Because before we recorded this, I was like, man, it's really difficult to actually think of a dad that isn't like a single dad or there isn't hmm. some enormous like worldwide thing going on that actually forces them into becoming a good parent for the first time in however long. Yeah. Um, but mostly the runners up were all of the parents from the Roland Emmerich films. So Bill Pullman in Independence Day, also Bill Pullman and yeah. Casper. Uh, <laughs> Benjamin Martin from the Patriot, the the father in the day after tomorrow, like all of these, they're oh, always yeah. the same dad doing the exact same thing, but they are good parents. And I realized as I was putting that list together, I was like, this is all Roland Emmerich disaster response. <laughs> <laughs> like great dads, oh, but you know, world ending events always kind of, or, you know, country forming events, uh, uh, formulating yeah. the opinions of the way they would be as parents. There's one that I have when you're talking about the last one. Was it the the little the, the giants when you mentioned that? When I mentioned the sports one. Now, this is one that's kind of similar, which was I had a sort of who I think, I mean, the movie is pretty crazy, but the father himself, kind of admirable in some ways. But again, in that sort of, you know, he realizes he has to become a good dad. And let me know if you're seeing this. Knowing your movie knowledge, I'm sure you have. Lincoln Hawk from Over the Top. <laughs> Over the top. Saloon. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. He's going to arm wrestle his way to be a good dad. Yep, exactly right. He's lost lost it all, and he's going to win everything back by arm wrestling. (laughs) Oh, man. I... (laughs) (laughs) That movie is so... thank you. So ridiculous. Um, But I was like, I was thinking about it. I'm like... He wasn't the worst dad. I guess he was absent for a lot of the time. What are you talking about? All those car chase scenes that he gets into <laughs> and like the fact that he constantly has him in semi-trucks going across the nation and taking him around for people or like not even being a part of his life until his mom dies? Yeah. No, he was pretty bad. <laughs> but that's that's what I'm talking awesome. about is like you, you look at it and you're like, oh man, that was badass. Especially if you're a kid watching that movie. You're like, I wish my dad would take me on semi-truck arm wrestling adventures. Yeah. And then you're like, yeah, but he didn't talk to you for the first 
<laughs> how old was he 14 years old or something like that yeah like he didn't talk to you for the first 14 years of your life but guess what the moment you get hair on your chest you're gonna smell diesel fumes and you're gonna go from gas station mm-hmm. to gas station trying to earn 10 bucks and ten thousand dollars <laughs> in the semi truck i love you yep. dad <laughs> <laughs> it is so ridiculous he teaches his son to drive a truck and he drives it from like I don't know where, I just remember one scene, he drives over from some other city to Las Vegas, and the kid is like 10 years old, <laughs> it's, it is bonkers, it is ridiculous, yeah, so that, that, that was my, probably one of my crazy dads, um, <laughs> but that's from like, I think he's, I think that movie's from the 80s, yeah, it's from the 80s, or something like that, yeah, yeah, but, um, oh man, though, that, you just brought up another great, another great dad, though, that I didn't even have on the list. Well, I guess he's not a great dad, but in in the vein of dads driving their kids across the nation. We'll put it there. This is a subcategory in the show now. (laughs) And the next era that I have is the 2000s plus. Have you seen Chef with Jon Favreau? Oh, that's funny. You know what? That's funny. I have that as one of my notable ones. So it wasn't one of my main ones, but I had that on my list as well. Fantastic. That movie is so much fun. And it's such a breath of fresh air in the John Favreau, Iron Man, yeah. MCUification era of his life. Yes. And yes. it it just, it's so inspirational and it's lovely start to finish. And it's oh. honest and it's brutal, but heartfelt. And it has a lot of levity at the same time. I can't recommend that movie enough to people. And I remember oh, the last time I saw it, I walked out of the theater and that was the day that Robin Williams had died. Oh. Uh, and that was the first thing that i saw when i got out and checked my messages that day and i was like oh no and funny Mm -hmm. enough i sat down on a bench outside of that movie theater after watching that movie and was like i need to do something creative with my life and that years ago led me to speak into this particular microphone for the first time and then it was you know (laughs) life got in the way and and i'm back i'm doing it now (laughs) but chef had a huge huge influence on me and man I should have put that on the list. I'm so glad you had it. <laughs> we got the um, we got the origins. We got the origin story of Doug right on, right, <laughs> yeah, right on the podcast. I didn't, I didn't expect that I was going to divulge that here, but here we go. <laughs> now that movie is so. Fortunately, it's not actually one of my the ones I listed, but I have like two or three which are like on the outside. I think that movie just came probably a bit too late in my life to sort of think about that sort of dad relationship. I think, or there's some reason why I didn't. But I mean, that's a movie that. I have rewatched, I don't know how many times. It's kind of, it's a, one of my go-to movies. Like one, I love cooking as well. So anytime I see anyone with a cooking show or a cooking movie, I'm on board. And John Favreau is great. And yeah, it's an interesting relationship because it's complicated. It's not great. But again, it grows and it's done in a not so typical way, I guess. Yeah, it's very honest the, about the way that it, that it explores his father-son relationship in the divorce and the fact that they're like amicably divor- divorced. And it plays a lot so much with like the creativity. That's actually a lot of what I talk about as a parent. Now, when you're, when you're a creative type, you can get very selfish about what you want to achieve in a day. And unfortunately your children can kind of be left by the wayside of like your aspiration. So the fact that he, his journey, everything that tears him down, what helps him build himself back up is the fact that his son actually does something with him in that creative space. And he shares that with his son. And it just was like, it hit every single mark for me. But again, I wouldn't say necessarily great dad because he spends the first half of the movie being a real shit dad. And that's, that's what really brings the second act to life is when he's learning that. And 
one of my favorite comedic moments in any movie ever when they're driving the food truck across the country and they're getting to Louisiana and John Leguizamo <laughs> is driving the truck and the son wakes up and he looks at John Leguizamo and he's dabbing cornstarch on his balls. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and he's like, did you just put cornstarch on your balls? And he's like, yeah, my huevos can't take it, man. It's too humid down here. <laughs> and he wakes his dad up. He wakes up John Favreau and he's like, hey, yep. he's putting cornstarch on his balls. He's like, hey, you put cornstarch on your balls? He's like, yes, sir. <laughs> he's like, give me some. And he puts it immediately on his balls too. And he looks at his yep. son. He's like, you want some? <laughs> and he's just like, what? And puts it down yep. there. And he's like, yeah, feels good, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it does feel good. And he's like, and in the morning we can make hush puppies. Like, just brilliant comedic moments tied into all the family drama that you would want. And again, it's just it's it's just levity. It's inspirational. I love that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, and I've got that one somehow made it way made its way into the conversation. <laughs> so, if we're getting into the two thousands plus now, do you want to lead us off with your dad pick okay. for this one? Yeah, I'm more than happy to. Okay, so this is one that's a bit, bit different. This one is actually a father. So, you know, going back to back, Fresh is here. Um, have you seen this show, Fresh Off the Boat? I have not. So, Fresh Off the Boat, starring uh, Randall Park and Constance Wu. Basically, uh, so the father's name is Louis Hong. And basically about an immigrant family from, I think they came from Taiwan. Uh, and they basically, it's a comedy. They come to America, Orlando, I think it is. And it's basically the story of their lives, I guess. Um, and it, it's really interesting because one, well, I love Randall Park. Hilarious. Um, one of my favorite actors. Just a guy you would probably see in everything, in any sitcom, any movie. He'll just show up. <laughs> but this show particularly was really good because one, it was probably the first time I'd seen the depiction of an Asian family on TV like that. So a lot of parallels between my own life and a lot of um, sort of stuff on that show, especially with the kid. Eddie Huang, who's sort of like this uh, Asian growing up in in America or for me in Australia, Western country. Um, not apparently, it doesn't delve too much into like any racial stuff or anything like that. It is quite, you know, it's, it, it's a comedy at the end, end of the day. But just a lot of stuff you you grow up, this, he grows up listening to hip hop and um, a lot of sort of similarities in that space and just uh, being sort of the only sort of um, Asian kid at school and stuff like that. Some familiarity there. But the thing I liked about uh, Louis Huang in particular is that this was a really refreshing take on the father because the ones I mentioned so far have been a bit hard, a bit hard nosed, a bit tougher. Randall Park as Louis Huang in this show is so, so fun, so full of air, so, so, so lively. Um, so really having a good time with his life. And he's really a good rounded character, I think, because the other ones like that I talked about, you sort of only see them through the lens of the father figures, I would say. You don't see them, you know, as a husband or as, you know, a friend or, you know, as an entrepreneur as he is. So a lot of sort of parallels in my life along those lines as well. Like my dad had a small business, which I was very interested in for a bit. So some parallels with that, but just more the fact that it wasn't sort of that same stereotypical um, angry father or, you know, hard-nosed um, Asian father, which I had just grown up with. It was someone quite different who was, you know, kind of a goof, kind of silly at times, but really just yeah, something really different from what I'd seen in Hollywood. So um, like, obviously I think that has been done a bit more in, in sort of recent times, showing sort of more rounded fathers and things like that. But for some reason, uh, Louis Huang and Fresh Off the Boat sort of sticks out to me a bit more. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just the time that I watched it. And again, this was like 2015. So I'm jumping ahead quite a bit in my timeline. I would recommend that show. It's a nice, easy watch. 
But you mentioned it, it is that sort of 20 minute sitcom, which is pretty easy to get through. But it goes through a few things. The first three seasons, I think, are really good. Then it sort of starts to get a little bit tired. But yeah, man, that's Blue Song for you on Fresh Off the Boat. <laughs> don't know how many people would have had that on the list. I mean, what you sold me at Randall Park, <laughs> uh, flat up. And I'm surprised I haven't seen it. He he has always just been a uh, wonderful person for me to watch in pretty much anything. Going back to uh, Wet Hot American Summer, first day at camp. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that, but he's yeah, he's he's phenomenal in that. He's great, obviously, in the Ant Man movies uh, where he pops up, yes. or in the MCU where he came back for WandaVision. You know, he's just a a boatload of charm wrapped into somebody who I absolutely believe could carry something with a little bit more heft and a little bit more weight. And seeing him in a father role mm. just seems like it's right, <laughs> right up my alley. And I appreciate very much the sitcom dad because they were just that like like you said it actually yes. gives these dads over the over the course of many seasons an opportunity to be not just a dad they get to be themselves they get to be a husband they get to be a father they get to be a friend it's nice to see because you see sort of the struggle i guess just sort of seeing it as i was older it's probably more relatable in that sense as well to sort of think about you know the other parts of your life which are going to be impacted as a father or as an older adult sort of the balancing act you have to sort of play so that's what the show i think does quite well you know the dynamics between himself and his family i think his brother is played by um uh ken jong so uh he's also pretty great uh he's in for a cameo yeah constance Wu is really good in that show as the sort of crazy wife and yes i think it is sort of autobiographical it's autobiographical of eddie huang who i think it's sort of he wrote a book about sort of his life and it was part of him immigrating from Taiwan to America and eventually becoming a chef. So there's a little um, little tie, tie in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd highly, highly recommend it. As I said, I think it's on Disney Plus or something like that. Pretty easy to watch if you're looking for a show. But it's nice to see because it takes the child, Eddie, from a young age to when he graduates from, I think it's high school or university. I can't remember exactly where he lives the show um no i think it's university so yeah it's um nice nice uh sort of you get to see that that sort of timeline go through as well all right well i have something <laughs> very different for you here but probably going along with the rest of the line i wouldn't be surprised if you haven't seen this film but if you haven't oh boy this is one to watch have you seen about time uh, about time is that the it's not in time is it that's a different movie no about time stars donald gleason and Rachel McAdams and Bill Nighy. No, I have not seen this movie. When you said time, I thought of that Justin Timberlake movie. It's not that one, is it? <laughs> Very different film. Yeah. Very different film. <laughs> About Time shares a lot of DNA with a lot of the romantic movies that were coming out at, at around the same time. Wow. I, I'll just go ahead and put it there. But mm-hmm. on its surface and the all the ways that the trailers represented the movie and the way that the posters look, it is just a romantic comedy, right? The the one that I would put it closest to is we had discussed this when we were talking about the gray man, Crazy Stupid Love, oh, yeah. where if you watch that movie and you look at the posters and you see the trailers, you're like, oh, this is going to be an all right romantic comedy. And then you're like, wow, this is a movie for everyone. Holy shit. How did they not mm-hmm. figure out how to market this correctly? Because that movie is great. About Time sneakily happens to be one of the best romantic comedies I've ever seen, while also being one of the bar none greatest 
examples of a father-son relationship I've ever seen in my life. Oh, wow. It's very charming. It's very light on its surface. It's shot so that it looks very light. For the vast majority of the movie, you're following Donald Gleason as he is courting Rachel McAdams, and then they begin their lives together. The secondary Ooh. story is that every man in Donald Gleason's family, including his father, has the ability to travel in time. But they don't do it like Doc and Marty in Back to the Future. They go into a quiet room, much like my audio booth. They close their fists together, and they think of a specific time, and they walk out of that room, and they happen to be back in that time. Then they can go back into that dark space and go back to where they were when they left. Hmm. And they want to use it for very simple things. Even if you don't watch the movie, go watch a YouTube clip of Bill Nighy explaining this particular ability <laughs> to his son for the first time. Because he chooses to do so after his son flubs a New Year's Eve kiss. So you would think like, oh, I'm going to tell you how to stop, you know, or I'm going to tell you how to solve world hunger, or I'm going to tell you how to mm. kill Hitler or something along those lines. He's like, nope, the moment that you need to know how to do this is because you actually need to go back and kiss that girl you were dancing with this last night. Yeah. And he's talking to his dad and he doesn't believe him. And he's like, what, what did you do with it? He's like, books. I just read a lot of books. It's pretty incredible. I've done a lot of that. He's like, don't do what your uncle did. He you know, wasted his life. But yeah, for me, <laughs> it's books. I've read everything three times, you know, Dickens 12. And it's this extremely charming, very light take on time travel that through the course of the movie becomes heartbreaking and beautiful. Because what you discover is when the next male in the line is born, whatever version of your father, so a grandfather in this case, can no longer be visited. Like you, you, you lock mm -hmm. in a particular time. So at a certain point in the movie, Bill Nighy's character dies. But as Domhnall Gleeson is becoming a father, he always goes back and plays games of ping pong with his dad because he's not gone yet, right? And he's able to talk to him about his future. And he's able to talk to him about the life that he's living right now. And eventually he comes to understand that when his son is going to be born, that he has to officially say goodbye to his father that he's had countless years worth of extra time with. And he has to consciously make the choice to go from relying on his father to being a father. And I can't think of any better way to describe it. It's also super fun and charming and beautiful, but that relationship isn't at all talked about in any of the media packages for that show and they just shoehorned <laughs> it in there and i can't watch that movie without just like that scene i gotta pause it and walk away every single time because it's it's gorgeous it's handled so deftly and it's handled so craftily that you you don't see it coming even though you know it has to and it's beautiful absolutely stunning one i can't wow. recommend enough no, this is what I'm adding to my list, definitely. <laughs> this, sounds, yeah. this sounds really good. If you're going between guess... the great outdoors, the little giants, <laughs> about time, go with about time. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't, I can't recommend it enough. It, um, it is undersung, underappreciated, and underknown because even if you find it on Netflix, it doesn't show any of the stuff I'm talking about. It, it shows mm. the things you expect in a romantic comedy, but not that. It would be like if you went to see Back to the Future and you'd be like, wait a minute, who's this old scientist guy? Like mm -hmm. that's how big of a, an element of the story is missing from the media uh, surrounding it. Wow. Okay. That sounds 
Yeah, some of what we talked about sounded really nice. So I'm definitely going to check this one on. This one's one that's really interesting. It's so clever in that in a movie about time travel, the important thing is not the time travel. It's what do you do with your time yeah. at all? And uh, it's, it's so smart. Yeah. You know, so if you're looking at the Back to the Future films and realizing that all you're trying to do is make this moment right now better, because that's what the Back to the Future movies are really all about. About time is about making your future that you can no longer foresee better. It, it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely wonderful. Amazing. Yeah, that this is, sounds great. <laughs> I did have one more sort of runner up in mind, which is completely crazy. Should I include that one? Or... <laughs> yeah, man, hit it, hit it. All right, so you yeah. got a crazy dad. Let's go yeah. there, because after about time, wow. man, we need we need to lift the spirits. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Okay, this will definitely be a change of pace and a change of tone. So this is regarded as one of the worst movies. One of the best worst movies of all time. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, have you seen Troll 2? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't piss on hospitality. You don't piss on hospitality. Yep, yep. Thank you, Alan. Yep. That's exactly there what is... I was hoping for. I was like, man, if we're going to land is... this plane, we're going to need a little <laughs> bit of balance here. And you... <laughs> you can't piss on his hospitality. I won't allow it. <laughs> I'm going to tighten my belt one more rung so I don't die of hunger pangs. Yeah. <laughs> ah. That is such a fun... Like, there's no character of it in that show at all, in that movie at all. But just that scene will live with me forever because I think the first time I saw him tighten untighten his belt obviously the first thought is that yep he's gonna belt this kid and then he he says he's tightening my belt by one loop so i don't feel the hunger pains oh my (laughs) i i I lost it (laughs) if you haven't seen the movie dear listeners (laughs) and you're of a mindset like us where you love movies and you might have fun watching terrible movies it is one to watch it is unexplicably horrendous from start to finish and it's so much fun yeah it's a cult classic it's one of those ones that local theaters will do a prestige showing and a lot of the cast will show up there's a great documentary on it too and yeah yeah it's a blast now this is the perfect way to kind of wrap up the episode because i watched that movie (laughs) this is how oh my god amit this is how perfect (laughs) the end of this is i watched that movie in the cabin that i would visit up north Yep. That inspires my love of the great outdoors, and in oh. which I watched the great outdoors often. <laughs> I was maybe six years old. I definitely shouldn't have been watching that movie, but my parents didn't care what we rented when we were there. It was our friend's cabin, and they had us stay with them all the time. We wanted to rent Troll 2 because, hey, I hadn't seen <laughs> Troll 1, but the second one must be even better. <laughs> And it was available at a local podunk video rental store in Houghton Lake, Michigan. And I remember two things from that initial watch. The woman walking to the trailer and then the like weird popcorn sex scene. Yeah. And the, they're eating them and then they're going to eat me. Oh my God. That is stuck yeah. in my mind <laughs> this day. Well, what a way to come to this. But, man, I'm still blown away by the fact that you saw Troll 2 when you were six years old. And, oh, I, um... I watched a lot of stuff I shouldn't have watched at a very young age. <laughs> but the other thing is, I can't imagine, like, just going up to the front and borrowing that movie and what the person who's checking out is just thinking. Just like, what, are this, what is this family doing? Like, <laughs> they're going to watch Troll 2 
in the cabin, you know, because that just blew my mind. <laughs> it was it was uh, perfect. By God, I could not have designed a better ending to this show. I might even mic drop it on there, except I want you to be able to tell folks where they can find D54. Oh, man. Well, firstly, man, I'm going to say thank you for being letting me be on this episode of yours. I've had such a good time. Reliving thank you so much for and, this. Um, D54, yep. So, yeah, thanks again for having me on. We're looking to do some more movies coming up. You can find us on any podcast, YouTube as well, in case you want to listen to it on that. Dad's going to be on that again pretty soon. If you haven't heard our show, check out our episode with The Grey Man, because that's where Doug and I sort of got together for an episode there. I had a great time. So, yeah. Just appreciate being on the show again, and it's been a blast. Yeah, Ahmed, thank you so much for coming on, dude. I couldn't imagine a better person to kind of just talk dad movies with tonight. And uh, I really appreciate it. Anytime, hey, dude. why don't you go watch Troll 2 now? <laughs> <laughs> a film or a TV show is made by countless individuals that draw from their own upbringing and experience to create dazzling distillations of the human condition. They're windows into another life. They're empathy microscopes. They're escapism. And they're timeless tutors. I think of the hundreds of thousands of people who contributed to the movies I watched with my dad. And I'm sad. Because they never got to see his face light up when a scene really got cooking. I wish they all knew how much movies meant to him. Lucky for me, I knew how much he meant to me. And I know how much all of you listening mean to me. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of My Dad, I'm Dad. New episodes out on Mondays during the season. If you like what you heard, you can follow along with us over on social media. Facebook and Instagram at MDIDpod. You can send an email to say hi, anything you like, or let me know if you'd like to be a guest on the show. MDIDpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Andy Bird for the use of the music in the show. That cabin I mentioned a couple times in the episode, the one where I watched The Great Outdoors and Troll 2, that's Andy's family's cabin. That's another found family. Love you, birds. And here's some Wally wisdom that he probably would have signed off on. Like what you like, and do it unabashedly. Dad went from watching Stallone and Schwarzenegger action flicks to watching Hallmark movies seamlessly. No apologies. You dig what you dig when you dig it. If you love it, there's a damn good reason you do. We'll see you next time, folks. <laughs>